Amen. Well, again, I just want to say welcome to Hagerstown Church. It's a privilege for me to be. It's also for me to be speaking to you. It's also a bit surreal as I lift this podium up here. Two years ago, the, my family and I, we moved up here from Kingsport, Tennessee. And it was a very uh, interesting time for us. We knew that God had called us up to this area um, to plant a church. We hadn't seen it. We, we didn't know much about what today would actually look like or even what day this would actually be. That was a difficult time for us. Um, all of our children were born in Tennessee and um, moving up here was, was, was very tough for them. Of course, I've, I'm from this area. Uh, Spent most of my childhood here. And, uh, but anyway, it was difficult for us. And just over the course of the, the, the two years, God just really was faithful to us. And um, it, bringing us friendships and just uh, lots of hope for the future, hope for this day. And uh, the, the team began to grow and our vision began to grow. And, and so even this morning as we look over this last two years of God just working and being faithful to us, it's a beautiful thing. And so uh, every Sunday is special as we gather and uh, together with, with the church, the church assembled, we make much of Jesus. Every day is special, but today is very special to me, and I'm thankful that you're here to, to join me. And uh, as we embark on the, the future of Hagerstown Church with hope of, of God really doing a work and continuing to do a work here in Hagerstown, um, we're, we're, we're just glad that you're here with us. And so in 2019, we've had, we have high hopes that God would really grow our church you really grow our body, not, not in number. We're not, we're not concerned about that. Honestly and truly, we want the Lord to just bless us and change us and conform us into the image of his son as we look at his word. So that's our hope. I want to invite you into that this, this morning. As you look in the loop, I already mentioned it once and I'll mention it again at, this, at the risk of being redundant and annoying. Uh, be in the word this year. Be in the word this week. And not just by yourself. It's, it's very difficult, not impossible to be a Christian and to be separate from the body. And so together, in a real tangible way, I want to invite you in to read the scriptures together. To start this morning, to start uh, this week, grab that reading plan. If you're OCD, catch up, it's not that far, and begin to walk through scriptures together. I know that the Lord will bless us. Before we jump into the passage this morning, uh, I want to give a little bit of background to where we're at, to the context. So this morning I'll preach a message from Genesis chapter 32, verses 24 to 32. And so if you've got your Bible, I want to invite you to turn there. Um, but I'm going to preach a message many of us have already been reading. And so if you haven't been reading, I want to get you up to speed on what's taken place before the passage today here in Genesis chapter 32. And so we started in Genesis chapter 1 with God creating the earth. He, he created everything in it. And many of us think, well, that's just a foregone conclusion. Well, it's not. God created everything that we see, the Bible tells us. He calls it good. But not long after he's created, not long after he's pronounced good over everything that's been created, Adam and Eve slip into sin. They, and Adam plunges the human race into the fall, into sin. What's so beautiful is there in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that God gives the proto-evangelion and he says, good, good news is coming. There's something coming. That redemption is on its way. I have a plan. It's already beginning to unfold. And so in the last few weeks as we've been reading, we've seen this story begin to unfold. And we saw that it includes a man by the name of Abraham. And many of you would recognize the name, Father Abraham. He had many sons. But actually he didn't have any sons when that promise came to him. And yet God was faithful and said, hey, you're going to be part of this plan of redemption. I'm inviting you into that. You're part of my plan. And not only are you part of it, but through your line, through your children that you don't even have, I'm going I'm to bless all the families of the earth, all the families of the world. 
So we got introduced to this man by the name of Abraham. Abraham finally did have a son, and his name was Isaac. And, and Isaac, he lives an interesting life. But what's most special about Isaac is that Isaac has two sons, and they're twins. The names are Jacob and Esau. Many of you guys probably know the story of Jacob and Esau. These two brothers, they're the stereotypical brothers. As they fight often. What's cool about Jacob and Esau is as they're born... Well, they have an interesting birth story. Let's just say that. The first one comes out. It's, it's Esau. He's covered in red hair, and so that's why they call him Esau. It simply just means red. Oh, red. He comes out, and he's furry, even from a child. Many of you have seen babies, but this one was different than that. He was especially different, especially hairy. He comes out first. Many people say, by the way, that babies, all babies are cute. Well, I, I, I've seen some ugly ones, and this one was especially ugly, maybe more like a gremlin. But what's interesting, they, 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 see, they see him and they say, hey, this, this guy's red. We're going to call him red. We're going to call him Esau. And as they pull the baby out and they're, they're holding him, they, they look on his, on his, hanging onto his foot is Jacob. Jacob comes out as well at the same time, and he's holding on to the heel of his brother. They look at him and they say, this guy looks like a supplanter. He looks like a trickster. Let's call him that. So they call him Jacob, which literally just means supplanter, deceiver. It's pretty interesting. So... It's kind of foreign for us as we think about this idea of naming your kids what you see. Uh, that's not what we do today. We think, well, this name is a namesake. It's a family uh, heirloom of sorts. Let's give it to our children. And so we say, hey, great-grandpa was named this or so-and-so, or maybe my football, favorite football player was named this, and so I'm going to name my kid that. That's what we do nowadays, but that's not exactly what was taking place in the Bible. Names, they're important in our culture, but they were very different and different, used differently in those days. So today, uh, it, it's a little bit Odd, the way that we pick it compared to them. In those days, they would look at the character. They would look at the, the, the situation, the action surrounding this person, and they would give it a name. So it was given to you based on maybe your family or, or what you had done, what you would do, what, you had, what, what there was hope that you would do. For instance, Jesus, they said, you'll call his name Emmanuel. Why would you call his name Emmanuel? Because he'll save his people from their sins and because it's God with us. And that's just, a slight, that's just a small example. Imagine if that were true today. The actions that you did, they then said, okay, let's give this person a name. Well, I, it would be awfully terrible if we did that and named kids before they were potty trained, right? That could be very bad. <laughs> hey, let's call this person, you know, whatever. It's not true today, but it's definitely true of those days. Okay, and so while we, we don't label people that way, we don't say, hey, this, is the, this is my mean neighbor, hey, mean neighbor, or, or hey, this is whatever. We don't do those types of things. But we still give people labels, don't we? And we still desire the good labels, don't we? So not, not many people can change or have the power to change your name. Not, not many people even have the power to give you a nickname that sticks. How many of you are glad of that? You've been given a, nem- a nickname temporarily that it went away, it didn't stay. But we still desire to have those good labels. Maybe when we want to be labeled hard worker. Maybe we want to be labeled successful. And when we hear somebody say, that person, that goes success. That person is success. Or that, that person is beautiful. See that person as they walk? That's, that person is beautiful. We, we desire those. And so we work for those labels, successful. We, we, we work for kind. We work for handsome, whatever it is. We are after those. And so many times it's difficult for us when we don't get the right label. Imagine being named trickster, deceiver. This is Jacob's plight. I don't feel too sorry for him at this point. 
Uh, he, he, he definitely earns it. So that's what's interesting about their names, Jacob and Esau. They go on to really live up to him. So Esau, he grows up and he's a man's man, right? Uh, he, he lives out in the woods uh, oftentimes carrying a bow and he's hunting and he just looks tough. And he's, he keeps that reddish coat, as it were, all over his body. Very hairy, hairy man. Jacob, self-sufficient Self-made man, grabbing opportunities, doing whatever it takes to be successful. Doing whatever it takes to make sure that he's covered, that he has what he needs. He's a supplanter. He's a trickster. But he is a go-getter. So first we see he, he cheats Esau out of his birthright, right? Esau, he's been out hunting and he, he stayed out a little too longer, too, too long, longer than he should have. And he keeps thinking, maybe just a few more minutes, I'll, I'll, I'll have that deer walk by. Just a few more moments. I can hang out here just a little bit longer, just a, a few more days. And he, he goes too long. He's without food. He's without water. And he, finally, he gets home. He stumbles in. He's literally about to die. He's like, I need something, water. I need some food. And Jacob's over there. He's like, hey, what? Just, what, what good timing. Jacob's just made a, a, a bowl of soup. He's not much of a man's man. He's in there making some soup. And he works out some kind of a deal and, and cheats Esau out of his birthright, the firstborn. He'd been trying to do that for a while, right? Even as a child, he wanted to come out first. And then he goes on to deceive his blind, dying father. And by pretending to be Esau, he went to some pretty uh, extreme lengths to pretend that he, had, he was actually Esau. He even goes as far as to take, you remember in your readings, to take uh, a, a, uh, the goat and, and to cut its skin and to tie it onto his arms. And so when his dad sees him, he smells or, or feels him. He smells like Esau because he smells like he's outside. Esau smelled like a goat, apparently. Uh, and not only that, but he feels him and he, he says, oh, you are my son. He tricked his, 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 his blind, dying father to get the, to get the blessing. And when Esau came in for the blessing, Isaac had to tell him, your brother, he came in deceitfully, and he's taken away your blessing. And this is what's interesting about that passage. Esau says this, is he not rightly named? He says, are you kidding me? Of course you're not. His name is trickster. His name is deceiver. Of course, of course he would do this. How fitting, Dad. You did a great job. You you couldn't tell who I am. You couldn't tell who I'm not, but you could definitely, uh, you could definitely name you're my brother rightly. So Jacob, the heel grabber, the deceiver, the self-made man. And here's what's sad about Jacob. If you think about it, it's actually what's sad about maybe somebody that you know, maybe even yourself. It's hard for an independent, self-sufficient person to enter into the kingdom of God. Think about that. It's hard for an independent, self-sufficient person to enter into the kingdom of God. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19, truly I tell you it will be hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Again I tell you it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter into the kingdom of God. It will be hard for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God. And you might say, well, why is that? Does God have something against rich people? does Does he just like poor people? And that's not true. It's not true at all. This is what's true. That rich people, people who are wealthy, people that have much to depend on, to lean on, people who are self-sufficient often tend to be rich. And so there's nothing, there's no need for them to lean on the Lord. They have no, they, they don't recognize their need for God. Here's Jacob, a similar man, very capable, able to do many things and, and to be in different situations and come out on top, even if it means being deceptive, self-sufficient, 
What's sad for Jacob is it's hard for him as an independent, self-sufficient person to enter into the kingdom of God. That's true of us too. Something to think about this morning. After Jacob steals the blessing, though, Esau, he gets pretty mad. And what does he do? Well, he says, I'm going to kill Jacob. So Jacob, he, he doesn't have much time to gather. He, he, whenever Esau gets mad, he gets out of there. I remember many times being in a fight with my brother or getting ready to, to go to blows with my brother and getting angry. And he would say, I'm a lover, not a fighter. Sean would. He said, don't, please don't hurt me. He was afraid of me. He was way more intelligent. He could do so much more than me, but he was like, I know that Josh, Josh, he'd just lose his mind on me. I'm a lover, not a fighter. That's what Jacob says. I'm a lover, not a fighter, man. I, got, I, I can't stand with you. And so he slips out of there. He, he grabs the, the coat that he's got, and he grabs a, a coat for his back and a staff to walk in, and he gets out of Dodge. He takes off. He runs to his uncle Laban's house, and we're not talking down the street. I heard somebody the other day, they said they moved out of their house, and they moved in with their grandparents, and he said, literally, I said, what would that look like? He said, well, I grabbed my backpack, and I walked across the street and to, to grandma's house, right? He, he really he ran away, got out of there, didn't he? That's not what's taking place here. So Jacob gets his staff, and he takes off, and he runs to Uncle Laban's house, so a, a pretty good ways away. It's quite a journey, and Laban and Jacob, they, they get together. La- Uncle Laban, he welcomes them in, and they're, they're a pretty good fit, and you'll see why. You see, Jacob and Laban were actually cut out of the same cloth. They were, uh, Laban was greedy. He was deceptive, just like his nephew. Jacob was pretty sharp up until this point. He had done pretty good deceiving his brother. He had fared well against them. They were easy targets, but when he comes to Laban, Laban sees a weak point because he sees that Jacob has fallen in love with his daughter, Rachel. So he's fallen in love, and, uh, Jake, and Laban sees an opportunity, so he swoops in. And he, he, he works out a deal with Jacob. He says, Jacob, if you'll work for me for seven years, I will, I will give you my daughter's hand in marriage. And, and Rachel, she must have been a, a, a pretty young lady. And so Jacob says, hey, I'll, I'll do that. And so he works seven years. And he says it was just like a day. It wasn't hard work for him. And on his wedding day, he marries who he thinks is Rachel, but Laban has actually tricked him. He's actually given him his other daughter, Leah. When Jacob finds out that he's actually married to the wrong, wrong sister, he comes back and he says, what have you done? What, what's going on here? I, I didn't want, I'm not in love with, with Leah. I'm, I'm in love with Rachel. And Laban says, well, in our culture here, we, we don't marry uh, the, the youngest. We have to marry the elder daughter. And so Jacob's like, well, that would have been really nice. And Laban's like, well, it's in the contract. And he looks, and it's, sure enough, it's there in the fine print. No, that's... Many of you are flashing back with uh, your Sprint network or with Verizon. So Jacob wasn't very good looking at the fine print here. So he says, well, I'll, I'll work another seven years. And so he gets a net. Laban says, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and get another seven years out of this guy, out of this chump. And, and sure enough, Jacob works those seven years. When that's over, Laban says, I can't lose this guy. He's a hard worker. He does good. I mean, he's, he's kind of, he's uh, you know, you got to watch him a little bit. Here's a little sneaky, but he's a good worker. And so Jacob says, I'll tell you what, I'm going to work out another deal. He says, I'll tell you what, let's, why don't you work for me? And uh, every, every uh, animal that's born this way with speckles, and you can have that, and I'll take all the ones with the stripes. And, and Jacob's like, all right, that sounds like a good deal. Sure, I mean, I, I, I trust you. Well, Laban goes, and he takes all the, 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 the ones that would birth out uh, the speckles, and he hides those away. And, and anyway, but Jacob, he's not going to be tricked this time. So these guys, that, that's just what their relationship looked like, dueling back and forth, tricking one another. And it comes to the point where Laban is wealthy, and Jacob is wealthy, and they can't stay together. And Jacob sees that. It's coming to head. And so he says, I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to go back, and I'm going to receive that blessing that God has told me about. 
He says, I'm going to receive the blessing. And so he, he takes off. He's fleeing from Laban, and Laban's not pleased with him, so he's trying to get out of there again. And this is, by the way, do you notice a theme in Jacob's life? He started out getting a name that was not too happy, not too good, not that desirable of a name. His relationship with his family strained. Even the ones that, that uh, his mother, who he had a good relationship with, that's, that doesn't last very long. He's separated from her, he's separated from his brother, separated from his mother, separated from the land that he grew up in. And now he spent 20, over 20 plus years living with his uncle Laban and now that's ended poorly. So he takes everything he has and he gets out of there. He begins to head back to the promised land. He begins to head back to Canaan. At that point, Jacob had left with a staff and now he's leaving with a huge family. And extremely wealthy. At the time, while it was difficult for him there, it was a very prosperous time. So he takes off. As he's heading back towards home, he gets word that his brother knows he's coming and is coming out to meet him. And not only is he coming out to meet him, but he's coming out to meet him with 400 men. Jacob begins to just shiver and quake and think, he's terrified. Why would my brother want to meet me? Well, of course, we know why. We, would, we imagine why his brother would want to come meet him. He's, he's frustrated. He's angry that he would steal and lie and cheat to get his blessing from his father. So Jacob begins to freak out. He searches and searches for a way to settle this matter, to avoid a fight, to, to save his family from being slaughtered by Esau. That's what Jacob does. He he comes up with an ingenious plan. He's going to manipulate the system. He's going to figure out a way to not square up with Esau, to not go toe-to-toe, and to not make good on what he's done wrong. So what he does is he, he divides his camp up into two, and he thinks, okay, if I break my family up into two camps, at least half of them, if one of them is attacked, the other half can get away. Seemed like a pretty good idea. And then he thinks, okay, not only am I going to do that, but I'm also going to send out these caravans of, of gifts to him. And so he sends people um, to bring, just bearing gifts of all of these different animals. Uh, just a wonderful gift, fit for a king. Just time after time, wave upon wave, he's sending them to Esau as Esau's out in the wilderness coming to, coming to meet him. So again, pretty sharp guy. You can see a self-made man, but not too honest again. He's deceitful, he's a schemer. He lived up to his name. But here it had run its course, hadn't it? Doesn't look good for Jacob. He's a, he's a lover. He's not a fighter. He's a deceiver. He's not a boxer. He's not a warrior. So he goes that night. He walks, he crosses back over the creek, the stream, back out of the promised land, leaving his family. He's there by himself. He's alone by, with, with God and the crickets. He's pondering what's going to take place. He's pondering what's going to happen. This is where our text this morning picks up. This is in Genesis chapter 32, verse 24. That's where this story picks up. You've got most of the background that we need before that. Before we read, I want you to just notice this. This has always been Jacob's play, to deceive for gain and to do it again and again and then run. And now he has nowhere to run. He has nowhere to turn to. And he's on his back and he speaks and prays to God. And by, what's interesting is the last time that we hear, or not, second to last time actually, we don't hear Jacob praying very often before this. This is his first prayer. We don't hear him speaking of God very often. Matter of fact, the, one of the last times that we even hear him mentioning the name of God was when he lied about God, saying that God had blessed him when he was pretending to be Esau. 
But now Jacob, at the end of his robe, we begin to see something shift and change in him. We haven't seen this side of Jacob yet. He turns to God and he begins to pray for the first time. Let me give you just a little bit more background. In verse number nine, he says, Jacob says, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do good. He says, I'm not worthy of the least of all the deeds of the steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with my staff I crossed this Jordan and now I have become two camps. He says, I'm not, he comes to the end of himself and he says, I can't do anymore. I've manipulated, I've lied, I've cheated, I've ran. I can do nothing else. He falls on his knees and he just says, God, you've blessed me so much and I don't deserve any of this. Similar to what Job says, he said, I started with nothing and you've blessed me. He says, I don't deserve it. Finally, Jacob, the deceiver, he admits that he's not worthy of God's steadfast love. He finally has a moment of truth. Jacob was one of those guys where you knew he was lying if his lips were moving. And here, he starts to get serious. Jacob continues in verse number 11. He says, please deliver me from the hand of my brother. He says, deliver me. I need your help. Bless me. Deliver me from my brother. He's going to kill me. He says, I fear him that he may come and attack me. And he says, I don't want him to kill the mothers. I don't want him to kill, kill my children. Please don't, don't let this take place. Quite different language. Deliver me, save me, preserve me, bless me. You can't do it alone. So that sets the stage. That's the background. Now all of his kin is across the river. He crosses back over it by himself out of, out of Canaan. And he's going to spend the night there alone by himself. And yet he's not alone. He's attacked. We'll see what takes place here. So in verse number 22, read with me. It says, the same night he arose and he took two wives, his two female servants and his 11 children, and he crossed the ford at Jabbok. And he took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had, and Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was pulled out of joint as he wrestled with him. And then he said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. And then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of that place Peniel, saying, For I have seen the face of God, and yet my life has been delivered. And the sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. And therefore this day the people of Israel do not eat of the sinew of the thigh that is in the hip socket, because he touched it, touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. May God bless the reading of his word. Would you pray with me? God, in the moments that we have left this morning together, as we look at your word, I want to ask that you bless it. Call out to you this morning that you would bless me. God, I want to hold on to you this morning and ask that you would bless me, that you'd not just bless me, that you bless my family and that you bless this church. God, we pray that as we look at your word, not just this morning, but this week, in 2019 and 2020 and 2021, and for years and years and years to come, that as we look at your word, that you'd change us. Father, that you're our only hope. Your word is truth. We pray that you'd sanctify us even this morning. 
We pray these things in the name of Jesus and for his glory. Amen. So that night, Jacob, he's separated from his family, he crosses over the river. Everything he owns is left on the other side. And there in the darkness, he's attacked. Somebody overcomes him and Jacob doesn't know who it is at first. Is it Esau trying to kill him? Has Esau sent an assassin? Maybe it's a marauder trying to take something he doesn't even have. He doesn't have anything. He's there by himself. What's going on? He fights back with everything in himself. He's not a a fighter, but there he is. He's fighting. He turns out to be pretty tough. By the way, Jacob actually was a pretty strong guy. Esau much stronger. But he doesn't know who he is, and he's wrestling with this man. And they wrestle until daybreak. We don't know how long they were wrestling, several hours perhaps. It's a long battle between the two, hand-to-hand combat. Well, Jacob isn't covered in, in red fur. He, he's not a slouch, right? He's, he's, not a, he, he's a pretty strong guy. Verse 25 says, when the man saw that he didn't prevail against Jacob, as he wrestled with him, as he fought him, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was popped out of joint as he wrestled with him. Jacob, he, here he's been running, follow along with what he's been doing, re- retrace the steps. He's been running from Laban. Before that, he was running from Esau. Now he's running from Esau again. He's emotionally exhausted from living a draining, deceitful life. And now, physically, he's exhausted from wrestling all night long. And then to beat it all, his hip pops out of socket. I've never experienced that. Perhaps you have. I imagine it's a very painful experience. And so here's Jacob. This is his plight. This is where he is. He realizes, I'm going to have to change strategies. I can't fight any longer. I've given it all I have. And so Jacob, the deceitful fighter, he, he's crippled by a supernatural blow. And, and Jacob had now encountered, for the first time, somebody that he could not stand toe-to-toe with. Somebody that he could not outwit, outlast, outsmart. There he is. It's crazy that, 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 that he received this touch to his hip socket. It's out of joint. What, what kind of MMA move is that? Right? You've got arm bars and, and leg locks and ankle locks, and now you've got a hip pop. Like, it's like the, maybe like the wooshy finger hold. God, or this, this man just touches his hip and it pops out of socket. Jacob's wondering where this attacker gets his power. Who is this person? And he begins to, to sense that this is not just a normal person. This perhaps is not just a man. This is supernatural, perhaps divine. There he is, he's crippled. He can no longer fight, but he hangs on for dear life and he won't let go of his attacker. If you think about it, if if your hips popped out of socket, you're not gonna be standing. He's exhausted. So instead of standing toe-to-toe, instead of being on his feet, he's in a defeated position, not a dominant position. He's in a defeated position on his belly, reaching out to his attacker. And where does he grab a hold of? What's he holding on to? He's holding on to his heel. He's defeated, exhausted. And he says, bless me. Suddenly the man, he speaks to him. He says there in verse 26, he says, the man says, let me go for the day is broken. Essentially he's saying, enough is enough. We're done with this. I'm tired of playing around with you. Time has come. I need to leave. Let me go. And Jacob says, I can't let you go. Not until you bless me. It's obvious that Jacob begins to have a little bit of a clearer understanding on the identity of this man. No longer is he wondering if he's one of Esau's assassins or some marauder. He begins to realize that this is God himself. 
This is a theophany. This is God coming in the flesh, so to speak. But this stranger is not ready to bless Jacob when he requests it. Maybe you could say that Jacob's not ready to receive the blessing. So the stranger asks Jacob in verse 27, he says, what, What's your name? You might think, well, that's an odd question to ask. Why would this attacker, knowing exactly where Jacob is, show up and begin to wrestle with him? Why would he ask him his name? It goes back to this idea of what's in a name. What did Jacob's name even mean? You know. It meant deceiver. It meant supplanter. As he asks that question to Jacob, and Jacob's on the ground, he's on his belly, he has no pride left in him. He's got, he doesn't even care anymore. He's got nothing left. This man asks him his name. So with what little he did have left, he squeaks out, I'm Jacob. My name is Jacob. And that one word, again, it sums up his entire life. That one word, he says, I'm a heel grabber. I'm a deceiver. This is what people have said about me from the beginning. This is, what, this is what I've done since the beginning of my life. This is who I am. And in that moment, Jacob confesses to that man, this is who I am. I'm a deceiver. I'm a worthless man. He lays it all out. The good, the bad, and the ugly, and there's not much good. But what happens next is the most beautiful part of this passage, and I don't want, to, I don't want you to miss it. Look at verse 28. The man's not trying to, to squash him. Obviously, he could have defeated him that night. He could have squashed Jacob, but he doesn't. He's not trying to just mess with his mind and, and just pick at him and say, what's your name? Yeah, you are the deceiver, but he wants him to, to think about that. and get, get him to that place, and so he does, and then he, he lifts him up. Look at verse 28. He said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. The man changes Jacob's name from Jacob the deceiver to Israel. Israel means strives with God. And many people think it actually has several meanings. So not only does he, he strive with God, but God strives with him. And not only does God strive with him, but God strives for him. This is exactly what we see in the life of Israel, in the, in, the, in the history of the nation of Israel, from that point on and forward, that God would fight for his people. If you really ring it out, it's even in that name, it's a prophecy of Jesus Christ, that he would come and that he would strive on behalf of men. That he would fight for men, that he would do the work that we could not do. So Jacob, he'd striven with, he strove with humans his whole life. Jacob, with Esau, with his, with his father, with Laban, with, with everywhere. He had prevailed. And now he had wrestled with God, and in a sense, he had prevailed again. Not because of anything that he had done, but because he depended on God in that moment. When he had nothing left, he would not let go, and he asked for a blessing. And so therefore, God changes his name. As a deceiver, Jacob's not allowed to enter into the promised land. That's what he's there to do. He's there to come back and, in a sense, take his rightful place as the patriarch of that family and to, to, to own that land. But he's not allowed to cross the river. He's not allowed to come in and abide there and stay there with his name being Jacob. And so God changes his name to Israel. As Israel, 
He can enter into the land. He can receive the gift. He can receive the inheritance and he can be blessed by God. So as we look at this passage, I'm sure that you've got, obviously you've seen some parallels possibly to your own life. That your life has been full of turmoil. Your life has been full of sin and struggle. I, know that mine, I see that in my life as well. I look at Jacob and say, we're not so different. Deception, striving with man, striving with God. Maybe you see some similarities there. Maybe you see some similarities in your life from Jacob's name being changed to Israel. Maybe you, you sense the same in your own life. If you're a Christian here this morning, then you sense that because it's true. God has changed your name. He's given you something different. But as we look at this passage, and I've, as I've considered our church this morning, I want to share with you just a few observations from this passage. And first, and that, it's this, that God often uses trials to bless us. God often uses trials to bless us. Think about it. He had just got out of Laban's clutches to fall away into Esau's. He had run from a lion right into the arms of a bear. This is Jacob's life. This is a, this is a serious struggle for him. This is a serious trial for him. He's about to be utterly destroyed by his revengeful, revengeful brother. But God blessed him there. In this place that Jacob names Peniel, he, he, God blesses him there. And oftentimes, Christian, when you're in your darkest time, when you're in your deepest struggle, you might say, I can't, I can't see the end of the, this. I can't see the end of the darkness. I can't see the end of the storm. Will I ever get relief? Will I ever be saved? Will I ever be, be healed from this or that or whatever it is, whether it's physical or spiritual? You say, will I ever find relief? And in that moment, in, the, in those times, God blesses you there. It's true for Jacob. We see it oftentimes throughout the scriptures that in our darkest time, God uses those and he blesses us even in them and he blesses us through them. Perhaps you're in a struggle this morning. You're in a trial Be encouraged that God can bless you there and that he will bless you there. Verse 31, the sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel and and limping because of his hip. If you think about this, when when Jacob left the promised land, when he ran from Esau, he ran and he stopped in, in Bethel and there God speaks to him and God blesses him there and he leaves and it's nighttime. And here Jacob leaves and he's gone for over 20 years and now as he comes back there at at Peniel, he encounters God again. And as he encounters him this time, the angel says, or God says, it's morning time. It's morning time. And while the sun rose upon Jacob as he walks by, walks through that place, a new day was beginning. He had a new name. He had a new hope for the future, but he also had a new limp. He had a scar on his body that was not going to go away. So as Jacob continues on through his life, he's got this new name, yes, but he also has this deformity. He has this wound. That new name forever reminds Jacob and his descendants of their destiny. As Christians, our destiny. But his limp, even as we see in the last part of the passage here this morning, this, this limp, it will forever remind us that in God, Jacob met for the first time somebody he couldn't beat. Jacob could not get through life on his own. He couldn't make it in his methods. He couldn't do it. So it always continued to show our self-sufficiency is not enough. What we, what we perceive to be our self-sufficiency is not enough. And that is exactly what Jacob needed in that moment. 
It's exactly what he needed. He didn't need somebody to tag team in and to help him out. No, he needed to be defeated. He needed to come to the end of himself, and it was a difficult time for him. So wherever you're at this morning, you might say, well, I'm, I'm in that place. I'm struggling right now. Perhaps that's exactly what the Lord is doing. He's, he's using those tools to chip away what you don't need. He's bringing you to the place where you look the most like Christ, dependent on God the Father. Perhaps that's where God has you right now. Jacob needed it. He needed humility. He needed dependence on God. The last thing that you need from a, a pastor or your pastor this morning is for somebody to build you up and to say things that are not true. To tickle your ears, the last thing you need is that. You need somebody to say this. To take the word of God as a mirror and to reflect it back and to say, this is the truth about you. And it's painful often at times that you've been wrong or that you're in sin or you're, doing, you're straying from the Lord, but you need to know the truth. So consider this morning, what is the Lord showing you? Oftentimes he blesses us in our trials. Another thing I think will be helpful for our church to see this morning is that God blesses us when we pray the beginning of our new year as we consider 2019 and we, we look back at 2018 and we say, well, what, what can be different? What should be different? I hope that 2019 is a, is a year that's marked with prayer in your life. Over your ministry, over your family, over your, the work that you do, that you'd pray and that you'd ask God to bless that as well. There beside the river, Jacob, he pleads with the Lord and it, and it says here that God blessed him there. While Jacob wasn't on his knees necessarily, hands clapped together with his eyes closed, praying to God that, that night, he was face to face with God. And he was asking God for a blessing. Would, would, would we be a church in 2019 that's full of fathers who on their knees wrestle with God, that he would bless his children, that he'd bless his family, would it be marked by a people that on our knees go to God and say, would you save people in this city? Would you save our neighbors? Would you help me to share the gospel with them and lives to be changed? God, would you send people to the nations? Would you send our own children to the nations that, the, that people far from God could be drawn close? Would to God that we'd be a church in 2019 that is marked by prayer? If you're short of a blessing this morning, if you say, I, I need a blessing, take a page from Jacob's playbook. One thing he did right. Wrestle with God. Don't let go. Be persistent and ask God for a blessing in your life. Ask according to his will, but ask God and be dependent on him and full of humility. And I ask you this morning, do you pray? Obviously, it's a rhetorical question, but do you pray? Does your life demonstrate a dependence on God? Or does it not? This isn't trying to make you feel bad or beat you up, but seriously, think about it. If you've lived this past seven days and you've not spent time in prayer, what does that say about you? No, I'm not trying to say it says you're a bad person or you're not a Christian. I'm not trying to point that out. It may or may not be true, I don't know, but... If you've gone a week, if you've gone even a day without spending time in prayer, asking God for blessings, it says maybe you're a little bit more like Jacob than you are Israel. Maybe you're a little more self-sufficient than you want to be or than, than you need to be. So consider that. What, is your, what does your prayer life look like? I don't stand up here to say that I've, achieved, I've arrived in that way. I, I'm asking God to do the same in, me, in my life this, this year. As, as, as we walk through this year, that as a church, we would be dependent on God. 
and that we would look for him to work. I know this, that when we do that, God will bless. When we pray, God will bless. Mystery that is that he would do that, that he would set this up, it's beyond me, and yet it's true. So to memorialize this event in Jacob's life, he, he calls that place Peniel. And he says, I've seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. You might think from some reading, cursory reading of this text, that Jacob, he stood toe-to-toe with God and he defeated him. And this passage says here, Jacob knew the truth. Again, for the first time in his life, he is speaking truth. And he says here, I've seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. There's no mistake in Jacob's mind of what had just happened in his life. He wasn't saying, ah, I was pretty close. I almost had him. If I just had a little bit more time, if if I'd just known maybe a little bit more jiu-jitsu, I could have escaped from the hip socket break, whatever that was. It's not what Jacob was thinking. He was saying this, I've seen God, and yet my life is preserved. And Jacob says he's seen God face to face. He's not saying that he actually saw God face to face, but rather he's saying, I've encountered him. I've been right there with him. I've spent time with him. And yet my life is preserved. What's, what's contrasting here is, if you think back in Jacob's life, right here, this is what we hear him saying, my life is preserved after I saw God. Just, just a few moments before as we were reading the text, what was Jacob concerned about? He was concerned about his life being preserved, but not when he came face to face with God, but rather when he came face to face with his brother Esau. I think that's another lesson for us to learn and glean from this morning. Oftentimes what we think is our worst nightmare. Oftentimes what we think is most dangerous in our lives. What is, what is even best for us? As we think of safety, that's not what we need at all. Jacob alone encounters God, comes face to face and says, man, my life is preserved. He's not saying I'm concerned about Esau now. No, he's saying I, my life has been preserved. It's been spared by God and he has blessed me. So Jacob crosses the river confidently knowing he can face his brother. Why? Because God, God has blessed him. What a truth for us this morning as a church, as we cross, so to speak, it, uh, uh, from this threshold of not being a church. Now we are a church. Not having sound system. Now we do have a sound system, right? Not having a place, or an office, or whatever it is. Now we have those things. Now we have a trailer. Oh, we have a newspaper article. Now we've crossed that. As we cross this into the next year, into what's ahead of us for Hagerstown Church, what do we say? We say, we, we say with confidence that God has blessed us. And whatever's in front of us, we have no need to fear, no need for worry. God is with us and he has blessed us. When Jacob meets the dreaded Esau, they run up and they embrace. He falls on his neck, he kisses him and they both, even, even Esau, tough guy Esau, they're, they're weeping together. God has swept away the the anger in Esau's heart. He's reconciled these two brothers together. Jacob, or Israel, he's a changed person. He enters into the promised land for the first time, and there he builds an an altar to God at Shechem. Again, we just, something that Jacob's not typically doing. Sign of a changed life. He's following in the footsteps of his father, Abraham. He calls the, the uh, altar there El Elohim Israel, which means the Son, God, the God of Israel. The God of his fathers is, is now Jacob's God, he's saying. My life's changed. I'm altogether different. I'm not going to stray from God. I'm not going to fight God. He's going to fight for me. 
Not because I'm worth anything, but because he is gracious. So now we see that this fulfillment of the promise is being worked through, or by God, through Jacob. The promise that God had, they had promised to Abraham and to Isaac is now being passed on and fulfilled even before our eyes in Jacob. God struggles with Abraham, or God, God struggles with Jacob, rather. And in the process, Jacob prevails, not in the sense that he overcomes God, but rather in the sense that, that by recognizing his dependence on God, he is now able to receive the promise and blessing of God to Abraham. What's the application of all this for us this morning? As we consider what's ahead of us, individually, corporately, what, what does this mean? If you don't hear anything else, this is the lesson. That self-sufficiency is incompatible with the work of God in any age. That self-sufficiency is incompatible with the work of God in any age. And that faith alone overcomes the world. You might say, I, I, I'm not a self-sufficient person, nor, neither am I deceptive. I would ask you to consider this morning, to ask the Lord to really to show and to search your heart. Is there any wicked way in you? Is there any part of you that thinks that you are self-sufficient? As you walked in this morning, that you can do things on your own, that you can really work and, and go and do what needs to be done on your own. Same is true for us as it was true for Jacob. Self-sufficiency is incompatible with the work of God in any age. It's true for Jacob, true for us. We receive, we receive the kingdom of God not by our hard work, but only by God's grace. It's a gift. So if you're here this morning and you say, oh, I know all about this, but oftentimes I forget, I would encourage you, Christian, repent and do the works that you did at first. Confess your, your sinfulness, your, your, your pride, Humbly fall before the Lord in repentance. And if you're here this morning, you say, I'm not a Christian. I, I, I don't know what you're even talking about. Well, first I would say this. Welcome. We're glad that you're here. We want to walk with you to help you as you see these truths unfolded from Scripture, even this morning and throughout this year. We want to invite you into this. But what you would need to do this morning is the same thing that Jacob did. And the same thing that we do as Christians on a weekly basis, on a daily basis that we would fall on our chests We'd reach out to God and we would say, bless us. Our dependence is on you. We can't, we can't do this on our own. Opportunity is there for you this morning. If, if anybody would, would call out to the Lord, the Bible says, if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. So just as Jacob reached out to God, would you reach out to Jesus in repentance? Would you pray with me? God, we just thank you for this opportunity that we have sit in these chairs in this place where last week at this time in this place it was quiet but now this morning your word is preached not by people who are who are uh, skilled in any special way to lead music or to pray or to read or to preach but God just faithfulness to your word is where we find power this morning we pray that in this place this morning and weeks to come and years to come that as we gather and we look to your word that you would meet us here and in this place, you would bless us. Father, we, there's nobody here that is sufficient of their own. And even together corporately, we are not still sufficient. We're still not able. We depend on you this morning. So we confess that to you, knowing that you'll meet us here. You'll meet us in our weakness. We thank you for that. May you be praised 
May your name be glorified in this city and around the world as a, work, as a result of what's taking place here in this place. We ask these things to be done in the name of Jesus and for his glory alone. Amen. Mercy. What riches of kindness he lavished on us. His blood was the payment, his life was the cost. We stood neath the debt we could never afford. Our sins, they are many, his mercy is more. Praise the Lord, his mercy is more. Stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins, they are many, his mercy is more. Amen. Are you thankful for God's mercy this morning? Amen. There's no condemnation for us that are in Christ. For what the law cannot do, weakened by the flesh, God has done in us and in you that are in Christ. So in that spirit, go today with joy, worshiping the Lord and reflecting his glory to your neighbors. Hagerstown Church, you are sent. Say I have decided